Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. Not All right, so this week we are talking about the beginnings of uh, an auteur uh, and Roger Cumble and his his work, um, which I actually had seen. Uh, oftentimes on the show, I'm kind of uh, looking on the filmographies, I'm like, yeah, I've not seen much of uh, this particular particular director's work. Unfortunately, last week was Harold Ramis, who had some blind spots, but I probably have seen just as much Roger Gumbel as I have Harold Ramis, so take that for what it's worth. Um, Cruel Intentions this week, which uh, was very popular when I was a teenager, but that makes sense because that's the, uh, the demographic it was targeted for. And um, I don't know. I, ben, I don't know if this film has uh, stuck around in uh, any particular way. Uh, you only have really one actor here, Reese Witherspoon, who's kind of transitioned to, uh, I guess, being a serious actor to a certain extent. Uh, Ryan Philippi and Sarah Michelle Geller are still working, but uh, I did have the thought on rewatching it that maybe if all three of them had become stars of equal caliber, this would be uh, still mentioned a little more frequently. But... Um, what is what is your uh, experience that you kind of previewed last week with Cruel Intentions? Your your watch back in nineteen ninety nine. I I I so I saw this in theaters. Weirdly enough, which is weird because I don't know why I was seeing a movie like this <laughs> with with <laughs> no, the R rating <laughs> and the sex and the and the words. Um, but uh, you know what? Fuck it. Uh, I'm not going to do this. Um, I really love this movie. I think it's great. Oh my goodness! I <laughs> I don't I, I don't care if this makes me sound like a philistine, but I prefer <laughs> this movie to both the other cinematic adaptations of the of this novel that you know that I've seen, um, and that would be the Stephen Frears one from 1988, I believe, um, with Glenn Close, and then there was one called Valmont from Milos Forman. Uh, which I actually watched this week, and I really didn't like it. Uh, <laughs> and that one's a little bit more loosely adapted um, from from the novel, and this is loosely adapted uh, from it as well. And this as is the second, be, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is the second movie that we've seen that's aimed towards teenagers. 
you know, and young adults that was an update of a of a classic, you know, piece of literature or whatever, um, if that's what you want to call it. And this is way more successful than She's All That. And I wonder, it makes me wonder why they don't do stuff like this more often. Maybe it's because this was coming in the post-Scream era mm-hmm. where you could finally have, you know, high school age kids and college age kids who are actually intelligent and talking about things in a semi-intelligent way. Um, and we certainly see that here. Um, these are not dumb people. These are like acid-tongued um, people who are trying to get one up on each other and doing it in a smart way. And I don't know. I find I find it irresistible. I liked it in theaters. I, I, I've been a big fan of this movie ever, ever since I saw it uh, in 1999. And this rewatch, you know, it's uh, – yeah, certainly – there, there are times when the genre uh, <laughs> kind of brings it down, but I don't blame it for that. Uh, the movie's job, you know, was to appeal to that audience. Um, their job is not to appeal to me at 30 years old, uh, even right. though they do. They're successful um, for the most part. <laughs> All right. So tell me I'm a horrible, stupid person or whatever. <laughs> uh, I'll just admit I wasn't I wasn't a big fan of it when I was a teenager uh, and I, I'm not. Yeah, you know, my my opinion hasn't changed. I I will. You said something about the 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 words, and I think I was probably more shocked in revisiting it in my my old age than I was initially as a teenager at the language used here. I, I mean, I cannot imagine now them releasing a film targeted at teenagers with actors who are working uh, in teen-related properties with uh, Mm -hmm. Buffy or I Know What You Did Last Summer, which uh, at least two of the actors here were coming off of, uh, and making them so unlikable, so proudly unlikable. So that was was interesting uh, to to think about and to watch again. Uh, But yeah, going back to my experience with it, I think – I think that, you know, for me, I just always had an issue with and, you know, still do with uh, Ryan Philippi's performance here because it's it's a bit as, for a younger actor in particular. I think it's, a, you know, it's a tough, tough role to play. And to be fair, you mentioned the uh, the Stephen Frears film. Uh, I never cared for Malkovich in this this role either. Uh-huh. I mm-hmm. I don't know. He always struck me like it's it's he's certainly a, a better uh, performer than than Ryan Philippi, but I just never really bought him as some Lothario. I don't know. He's just too he's too intense and creepy. And Philippi does a little bit of that here, which it was weird to to watch because I feel like when you're targeting teens, the trends shift so dramatically. Uh, pretty much within like a, a a graduating class through like you know a four year period. Uh, what works or appeals to the younger demographic will be seen as appalling, uh, stupid, um, you know, just completely ineffective. And I bet you Cruel Intentions has probably gone through low periods and high periods uh, with how these characters are portrayed. And in particular, his character, because he is so – he's playing someone who is so needy. Uh, and then at different points in the film, he is actually – he has a genuine need for Reese Witherspoon after he's fallen for her. And I wonder at different points if different generations of kids 
I found that to be totally off-putting where they they don't go along with the third act and root for this couple after he's he sort of had a change of heart. And then some of them have found him to be um, someone they can genuinely root for, someone they, they see a bit of themselves in. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know where you know the, the kids' heads are at now. Um, but that was, that was for me, I bet you would get different reactions, uh, as this film was aged about his performance in particular. What, what do you think about his, his acting here? I mean, I think he's perfectly fine. Um, he, you know, he's a tough actor cause he's always kind of playing the, the plain, um, you know, straight person for the most part, like, like in crash. Um, and here he's given a little bit more to do. Uh, but I think he really sells you on the idea that that his character has changed. And I think it happens in in the car scene when they're driving back. You know what your problem is? You take yourself way too seriously. I do not. Yes, you do. You should try to lighten up. I am light. Can we drop this? Fine. What are you doing? Stop it, it's distracting. Cut it out. Stop that. Are you smiling? No. No? Please stop. It's okay, you can laugh. I promise I won't tell anybody. I love it. I love it. It's so fantastic. It's fantastic. It's great work from both of them. No, it's Reese Witherspoon. No, no. It's great work from both of them. That's not how it works. It's not how it works. Like the two feed off of each other. No, well, I mean, I, uh, poor Ryan, who I've, I've kind of, you know, I've, I've got some issues with, but that, just the way that sequence plays out where you have this, this girl, uh, you know, attempting to make him laugh with these, these stupid faces that she's making. Uh, I, I, I trace that back. That's probably where my hatred of Reese Witherspoon started was that sequence <laughs> because I, I just, you know, and I've, I've, I think she did, it, did uh, it last for like one month before you saw election. Like, I mean, I'm trying like. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, like, because the stuff that I've really liked her in, she has played characters that are despicable, <laughs> like an election, uh, that recent HBO series, uh, Big Little Lies, I believe is, is what it's called. Um, I, I genuinely liked her and oh, I didn't much good. care for the show uh, as a whole. Really? But I, I, really, I, I, I don't that, that director is someone that I've defended before. And I felt like, you know, over like a seven, eight hour period, some of his his little quirks uh, that people have complained about and like stuff like demolition uh, that I'd, I'd always felt like he was, he was getting hit a bit too hard for that. It really hit home on that, but I thought she was quite good. I really like, she was my favorite character in that. And I've, I've, just, I've admitted on other podcasts, I've admitted to people in real life that uh, I know she's talented, but I, if I see her name on the poster, it's something where it's a mark against the film. And you know what? I'm going to say it's that car sequence is where it started. It is it was so off putting to me <laughs> that, that it makes I, me t- against her character like i want bad things to happen to her have you considered that maybe you don't respond well to genuine human emotions like that (laughs) i don't know see i don't i mean it's it's definitely something i'll I'll say this about it it's something that you don't see often especially when you have this sort of falling in love montage uh where you have someone be so unattractive (laughs) <laughs> like you see it more with like uh, I think of something like a, a film that we will be talking about later, like Notting Hill, 
uh, where Hugh Grant is kind of a klutz, right? But mm-hmm. like when the music comes in, when it's it's time to get down to here's the moment where these characters are connecting, uh, they shy away from it. They you know they make him to be uh, someone who is he's tried really hard to overcome his klutziness and now he is a romantic hero in some way and so it is it is a different choice to have this this moment where the the two kind of fall for each other where they they hold hands is after she has looked so unappealing like entirely <laughs> entirely unappealing with those faces and it, it just you know what Vin, it just makes me really uncomfortable like i i would have had a very different response than ryan philpy i'm very different from this character like i just that's one thing uh, i'm just gonna get away from Spoon's face because i could go on um that's one thing that is, I wonder now, because like, we talked about Office Space, uh, which I thought was pretty interesting, about people watching the film now in 2017, if they would still root for those characters who are bitching and moaning about a job that most people would be perfectly happy with and aspire to now. They would be, they would grab on, onto that. And this film, like, I wonder now how it plays, because the end of the 90s, like, uh, especially with a lot of these teen films, like with well, She's All That, we talked about, you have characters that are sort of proudly wealthy or coming from a place of certain privilege. And with the world we live in now, so if you just go on social media, I, I think they would shy away from from that to like sequences where you have them, you know, strolling the grounds. And I know the source material sort of lends itself to that. But do you think they would shape the characters differently? Maybe not Ryan Philippi, but do you think Reese Witherspoon would be someone who maybe doesn't come from as much wealth and uh, privilege? I think I think people still have that weird kind kind of, you know, envy uh for the rich where they see themselves in their position and no matter how ridiculous, you know, they can be, they can still kind of forgive them because it's like, oh well you're rich and, you know, I think you know, if you think about recent events and everything, you can see that I'm probably right about that. Um, and I people want will pay buy their ticket for the fantasy. That's what you're saying. Yeah, They'll, I mean, there's yeah. always going to be that, and the fact that Sarah Michelle Gellar and Ryan Philippi, these are both, and Reese with a with a these are all, you know, the hot WB kind of world actors or whatever. Uh, you know that I think that would work if you had that if you had that version of that in another movie today. I think people would be fine. Uh, with it. I think it would be tough to sell people to go and see a movie about two antiheroes, basically. Um, one that, you know, stays an antihero the whole time and one that goes from being an antihero, uh, you know, to, to changing. Um, and I guess villain would be a more proper way to describe Sarah Michelle Geller. I wonder if that would be something that people would shy away from. People kind of want their villains to be not the celebrity that they, that they really love these days in a weird way. Um, and that's what works. What, what works to me about it is that the movie could have done all this safe, stupid stuff and it would have been forgettable. Like she's all that, but instead it really swings for the fences and tries to make a legitimate update of dangerously Asians, uh, for teenagers in, in the late nineties. And, and it, it, to me, it, it, it works so well. Um, I don't, Dis, I mean, the, there are a few things that I find corny. Um, I think in particular the ending, there's some stuff there. Um, but then it, the general, you know, experience of watching the movie is still so satisfying and so enjoyable, uh, to me. I really wish there was more stuff like this that aimed for intelligent, uh, high schoolers. I think having, I think there was certainly a selling point with Sarah Michelle Geller in particular, uh, coming off of Buffy. 
because uh, she's she's getting to have the most fun here, a lot like Glenn Close mm-hmm. in Dangerous Liaisons. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we can't avoid the fact that a lot of it was sold on uh, the sexuality of her character. Like I, I didn't pull up the trailers, but I just re- recalling from memory then as far as the TV spots, they were really hammering home that this girl liked to fuck. And the, uh, the the kiss with Selma Blair was all over everything. So there was there was a, certainly a lot of appeal uh, to the the boys um, uh, to to go see this this film. And one thing that I had forgotten was, I mean, it's it's on the nose, but I did like that she she has one line where she has something where she's she's lamenting the fact that she has to be villainized uh, for having any sort of agency. Uh, when it comes to her sex life. It's all right for guys like you in court to fuck everyone, but when I do it, I get dumped for innocent little twits like Cecile. God forbid I exude confidence and enjoy sex. Do you think I relish the fact that I have to act like Mary Sunshine 24-7 so I can be considered a lady? I'm the Marsha fucking Brady of the Upper East Side, and sometimes I want to kill myself. Ryan Philippi, yeah, he may be, he may have a bad reputation, uh, but every conquest is a victory, and her victories uh, can never see the light of day. She can't. She can't mm-hmm. own them. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. But you know, it, it comes up, and I guess we'll you know, we'll kind of jump ahead just because of the arc of her character. So if you've not seen Cruel Intentions at this point, and for whatever reason you're waiting for this podcast to be the deciding factor, I hope the first 15 minutes has has done that for you. So I'm gonna get to the the end of the film. I. I feel like it's a it's a shortcut that there's no genuine confrontation that all that is sped along with her character with this you know this the his journal his diary uh, which does not look like something uh, a teenage boy would keep at all this little scrapbook that he's got I think I think an intelligent college college you know kid uh, in in you know an Ivy League school or whatever I think would would do that I don't think that's a big I stretch do not. I don't. <laughs> With as much uh, ass as he's getting, I just do not see him having time to, you know, put his little collage, her little pictures, calling her a bitch. Like I, don't, I don't know. It's it's so, it's just so dorky um, for his for his character and for probably for a lot of people to to have that put together. I don't necessarily like uh, that she get her she gets her comeuppance uh, there. I've I, and I know that it, you know, they they have sort of a. A visual sort of allusion to the Stephen Frears film with the the powder, and here it's cocaine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't, I don't think it works here. Do you, do you like the, the ending, the way they handle uh, her her sort of fall from, I guess, social grace? I I I, I mean, we're completely on. This is going to be fun because we're completely on opposite ends. I've been good, waiting good. for this for so long. I love it. I love the comeuppance. I think it's terrific. I think it's completely satisfying. From, from an audience perspective, um, you know, to see her finally get it done in this way at her brother's memorial in the middle of her speech. And even with that, that bittersweet symphony, uh, by the verve under it, like so perfect, so perfect. (laughs) I, I just, I, I mean, this is a movie that sort of stumbled along and accidentally came together in a perfect way. And I know that's a weird thing to say, but this is where I expose myself. (laughs) <laughs> as having listened to the audio commentary and the um, special features and everything on the on the Blu-ray, let's go. Let's um, hear it. Okay. Well, yeah, you brought up a lot of funny stuff. Um, in, in that, there one of the most interesting deleted scenes is the scene where Catherine 
uh, you know, reveals that she's been getting one over on Sebastian this whole time. Um, originally in that scene, he was supposed to like hit her and they were supposed to like fight on the ground kind of. And, and he kind of gets up and, and says he's sorry, but it's quite different from the way that, uh, you know, that is in the final cut. And it's interesting. I believe in the so, final cut. Yeah. Honestly, from my perspective, because I, I did not, you know, I did not go to the deleted scenes or listen to the commentary. I think I just watched this on iTunes. But yeah, I, I didn't mind it as far as not having that sequence because the way it plays out, you, he's attacked by the, the Ronald character uh, for, for a couple of reasons. One, because he's Ronald's in love with a, another girl played by Selma Blair, but also because he's been told uh, by Catherine that Sebastian uh, has hit her. And, you know, without that sequence, I'm just thinking like, well, she just, you know, she just had to throw some, she threw a lie in to, to get him That's better. to be beaten That's up. Better and, uh, I, I think it works fine. I think it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I do, I so I have problems with this ending as well. And this is where we're going to get to the, what I mean by this movie kind of stumbled along and accidentally came together in a, in a very interesting way. Um, the, the original ending you can't find on the Blu-ray. You can only find it. I, I found a YouTube link that I don't know how they got it. Um, but it's very different. Uh, he, and I guess this is spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen Cruel Intentions. Um, you know, spoilers, whatever. Um, originally he get, it, it, he just sees Reese Witherspoon across the street and starts running towards her and then gets hit by a taxi. And it's bad Ooh. because, yeah, Ooh. it's bad because <laughs> there's no sacrifice. He doesn't really d- like redeem himself in any significant way. It's just sort of, Oh, I happen to get hit by a car. Feel bad for <laughs> me. Uh, kind of deal. And, and, and it would be a bad movie with that ending. Um, and, and it's funny to think that though, like I give a lot of credit to the people behind this movie who, supported it and really wanted to make it uh they saw what the potential was here and instead of you know changing all the fucks to freak or getting rid of the of the um sex stuff they they went with it and supported it and to the point of doing reshoots and you know getting it to to be rescored by by you know two people and everything i give them a lot of credit and listening to the to the blu-ray commentary you were kind of poking fun at Roger Cumble. Um, he flat out admits that this is like the only movie he's made that's really worth anything. And I think that shows huh. a lot of, you know, humility. And I, kind I of disagree with him there. <laughs> the sweetest thing. Or, or, I, you know, I watched that uh, again earlier uh, this year. I uh, I was trying out the, uh, the DirecTV Now, which was relatively new at that point for me. I think I'd had it for a couple of weeks. And so I'm just looking around the different channel offerings. And that was just starting on, I don't know if it was on FX or what it was, but, uh, and I was like, wow, it was kind of like this podcast. I was like, I watched this when it came out in 2002 uh, on a, on a date. And I have not, I had not really thought about it since then. So it was, it was time traveling again. And what you were saying, I felt like he, he carried over. Cause you know, I, I have a lot of issues with cruel intentions. I think it's, it's, you know, it's, I mean, it's definitely trashy, uh, but oh yeah, uh, yeah I'll sometimes it causes me to, you know, roll my eyes. And sometimes I'm, I'm kind of just amazed that it exists in that form. Uh, I think the sweetest thing is, is similar. I mean, it's a it's a goofy, goofy comedy, uh, but there are a lot of strange choices in that too. Like when I was rewatching it, I was like, Jesus, I I'm amazed this was uh, a wide release. Like I cannot imagine it existing now. I'm not saying it's good 
by any, by any means, but I would disagree with him. I think he carried over a lot of his traits from Cruel Intentions to, to that film as well. You know, what I would say is that it's, it's kind of a, I didn't know this, but it was kind of a shame to look up this guy and not just see that he hasn't made anything that was as good as Cruel Intentions, but to also see that he's kind of allowed it to kind of bog him down that, you know, he ended up directing the direct-to-video sequels and he ended up directing the pilot that that I guess didn't get picked up um you know recently and it's like it's sort of like a george lucas type thing it's like you know just let it go go to something else um don't let your creation destroy you even his tv work he's just like his credits it's just one episode of various Mm -hmm. things you know he's on his last thing was uh pretty little liars but that's over like a five-year span of doing like sort of one-off which is also i mean to what you were just saying uh kind of similar setting cruel intentions similar sort of world uh they're working with as far as uh you know possibly despicable teens and what they do to each other but it, it's strange it's uh i had not considered george lucas as an apt comparison but that is uh yeah that is that has affected him and uh, uh i'm wow. trying to, i'm trying to get a heads up on all the star wars hate before we we get to phantom menace um so i think you you open yourself to up to a lot of hate when you open with this is a great film uh i don't i you the four people who are listening to this you have got to come in here and let this guy know that he is wrong because (laughs) i i like this movie i think it's possible there are other people who share the same opinion i agree maybe it's sort of a guilty pleasure but but i don't know i watching it this time like I, i was appreciating what was going on with production design, even before I listened to the commentary, I was appreciating how good this looked in comparison to specifically She's All That, which, which well, was just so bland. Which She's All That does not. She's All That is really aiming uh, almost to be like a, a TV movie at that time. Like, I don't know, something that just, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It, I remember there was those, those strange choices, the inclusion of like uh, the real world and MTV, but uh, it looks decidedly cheap. I mean, this looks... It has a a perspective. Uh, everything does seem to be very well thought out, which is interesting when you bring up the the, the ways that this could have gone wrong with the the, the deleted scenes. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I like the sweetest thing. I do kind of respect it, but uh, there, you know, there's I you never uh, I sort of open with uh, my 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 intro for this as far as I don't know how it's if it's stuck around in pop culture. Uh, you know, Rotten Tomatoes video to it. I don't think this is a film that's sort of meant for those type of scores. Uh, critics, it's it's forty nine percent, so it's I mean it's right down the middle. Uh, Ebert liked it, called it smart and merciless. I, I you know I said at the beginning, the top of the show, that I wondered if it would be held in higher regard or be talked about more uh, if uh, Philippi and uh, Sarah Michelle Geller had gone on to. Uh, bigger film careers because uh, at the time, I mean, Sarah Michelle Gellar, I think was probably the biggest selling point uh, coming into this. Um, do you, do you, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with her. I think she's, she's good in this, this role, but I think it's a credit to, to Cumble that he, he's pretty much, I think he's getting everything he can out of her here based on her later work. I don't, you know, I don't think she's really a dynamic performer anyway. And I think she really enjoyed to getting to throw off the Buffy shackles and play something so so heinous at times. Uh but do you feel that if if these all three of these these actors had gone on to like, I don't know, compete for Oscars or have uh bigger sort of popular success at the box office, this would be something that would be looked at as a lot of those sort of uh like the the eighties films or something where people look back at like a young John Cusack? 
I mean, Ryan Phillippe got to work with Robert Altman and, and in a movie that got nominated for Best Picture and, uh, and he got, he, he was in a movie, he, he gets to, he gets to be the flatulent, uh, or pretend flatulent cop in Crash. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. you're not mentioning the way of the gun, uh, which I, which I haven't huge seen. I haven't of. seen. Oh, really? So. Um, I, you know, we've talked about before, uh, we, we both have an appreciation for actors who, who, who make choices, even if they, uh, they're, they're sort of big and bold and can really fall on their face. And I think at times he, there are certain scenes where he comes very close to that if, if not doing it. Uh, and the way of the gun is one that gets, uh, thrown out there a lot, even with people who are a fan of it for his performance in particular with his, his choice of, uh, the voice he uses for his character. So I'd be very interested. You should, you should check it out. I'd like to see what okay. your take is on him. Cause I, I think back in that time period, he was, he was as a young actor, he was sort of fearless in that way. And I, I don't know really what he's, uh, you keep bringing up crash, but I'm like, I don't, I don't know where he's gone. I was so sort of talking about yeah, Sarah yeah. Michelle Geller. I don't know what, I don't know. <laughs> You seem to be a. Uh, I mean, I've, I don't know. Other than maybe Office Space, up to this point, has this been your your favorite film that we've it, uh, we've covered? It's a tough call, probably between Office Space and October Sky. I, I'm not sure. Uh, I haven't made a decision on that yet. Uh, don't push me. It'll be interesting to see because I know I have like my own top ten or whatever already made for this year, which, mm. which I, I had made like you know many years prior, and it'll be interesting to see what things change because I feel like. Whenever I look back at this year, there's just so many movies that are at this level, that are at the cruel, for me, the cruel intentions level, uh, that are just, you know, this is really good. I would watch, sit down and watch this, mm. you know, at any point or whatever and enjoy it. And, and, you know, that's tough. It becomes tough when there's like 50 movies that are like at that level to, to make a top 10. You end up leaving a lot of stuff you love off. You don't have that problem now. I usually come to the, uh, yeah. the year. The last last handful of years, I've come. I've had like fourteen or fifteen, and that's. I mean that 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 the only ones I even consider. Um, yeah, I should probably do that. I, I didn't know you'd done it. I should. Uh, I'm a little bit late to the game, but I should probably uh, before we go further, I'll, I'll make my own top ten just based on memory. What I just look at the list, what I would assume to be my my top ten, and, and see how that changes at the end of this project. See on rewatch if uh, what is shifting around or or jumped up into that list. So that's that's a good idea. To to me to me, look at how much variety we've had in terms of good movies that both you and I ha- or just me in this case. Of you, well, okay, you like Payback, the theatrical the um, director's got more mm-hmm. than I sure. did. Look at how much variety we've had in terms of good movies, and we're only at March 5th. Um, usually, when I was seeing two or three movies a, a week in theaters, um, I would go to this point, and there would be barely anything that I even liked. Uh, we can't we can't wrap this up without mentioning Christine Baranski, uh, <laughs> who I who is an actress who I really like. And I thought you were going to really go like. With the- I thought you were going to go with uh, Selma Blair because we we kind of just really ignored her. And she's uh, someone who's, you know, she's she's making a, a bold decision to go as broad as possible as the, uh, the you know, the, the dumb girl who's the, the catalyst for a lot of the stuff that happens at the very end. She's great. She saves some of these scenes. I think the, you know, that, you know, that scene with the Long Island iced tea where where he goes down on her, that would play very differently today. Um, I don't know if people would accept that. Uh, you know, and I know it's, you're supposed to not approve of his decision there. I, I don't know. I wonder if it would stop the movie dead, but the, the one thing that makes me think, oh, it might work out would be the reaction that, that she gives his mm-hmm. button, uh, on the end there. The, oh, like it, like it's, you know, perfect. Um, 
But well, see, uh, I think she allows people to have fun with it uh, mm-hmm. because she is so over the top. Uh, you know, you if you have her playing someone who is uh, you know, maybe just as sort of naive, uh, but who is on the precipice of you know heartbreak or is a, a really concerned character like you know Ryan Philpy will ultimately go. I you know that plays a lot differently than than someone who. Uh, basically is uh, tapping the audience on the shoulder and saying, this is all ridiculous. Like you can have fun with this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. fine. Um, yeah, it would, it certainly would, would uh, play a lot differently. It reminded me of, um, I was uh, watching spectacular now on the opening night here on Friday night uh, with a sort of a mixed crowd and the uh, Shailene Woodley, Miles Teller uh, sex scene in that film, which is, you know, it, it's, it has a certain degree of awkwardness because it's it's two teenagers trying to you know uh, doing that sort of power play as far as figuring out where they are with the other one and how comfortable they can be uh, in someone else's presence. Uh, it's it's so earnest that um, I I feel like you, you know you definitely with this type of material you cannot go <laughs> you cannot go earnest you cannot hold on her face as she has her first sexual experience. And have her playing it the same way. And I'll just say, unfortunately, Spectacular Now is a film I love. The audience got very uncomfortable and reacted uh, in the wrong way, like chuckling at, and sort of laughing at the at the girl having her first sexual encounter. So, yeah, I applaud Selma Blair for, for going broad. I think she she does save a lot of the, the work here. She's, you know, she saves a lot with Sarah Michelle Gellar, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. Having a character who is scoffed at and called a dumbass sort of under their other people's breath, like that, that that's probably my favorite scene in the film. Um, when Sarah Michelle Gellar is imploring her to have lots of sex, uh, and Selma Blair responds, it's some sort of like secret society and <laughs> Sarah Michelle Gellar is shaking her head as she walks out the door and her just sort of like yeah. prancing around. I don't know. I felt like that's, I don't know. I, I really rooted for that character. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. Hysterical. <laughs> All right. And, I and said a Colin a nice Powell, thing. a Colin Powell joke, uh, with Christine wow. Baranski, which, you know, um, I didn't even know who Colin Powell was when I saw this movie in 1999 and I still remember laughing at it. I was just, it's weird that, that I, uh, I'm, I'm rewatching uh sports night and rewatching a lot of mm-hmm. Aaron Sork stuff. I'm kind of going in order, um, and move on to the West wing. And I just got the episode when I was at the, the gym tonight of, uh, it's, it's one of the characters, uh, I don't know the actor's name, the one that went on to do the, the good wife, Josh uh, Charles. He, uh, he is going to a dinner. He, like, uh, that he has paid uh, a lot of money to, to basically be able to meet, shake hands with Hillary Clinton and, uh, and pose with her for a picture. And I had that same thought, like you're talking about Colin Powell, where I was just like, um, I don't know. I, I don't want to get too political, but I think, I think that they would avoid anything like that now. Like, I don't think you would have just, cause in both, both of those in cruel intentions and that it's just throwaway lines. I get to meet, Clinton tonight and Colin Powell, I think they would just, they just would remove all of that because kind of like what you said, they wouldn't allow the teenagers. They wouldn't allow yeah. that to be part yeah. of the world, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, I don't know. I, I have one final thought, yeah. which has gone a little bit longer. Uh, do you think that, you know, they don't make these films now because they just assume the teenage audience uh, will be sort of drafted into the superhero genre, the big popcorn, I mean, movies that there's cause, you know that even the horror genre has kind of been removed from them, which has always kind of been the the teen crowd. Now it's they're now no longer movies about teenagers anymore. They're they're watching adults going through what used to be teenage fare. I don't get it. I mean, to me, it's like well, they're the target demographic for movies. Um, they're the people with 
the expendable money from their parents and everything, you would think there'd be a wealth uh, of stuff. Like, even if it doesn't work, even if it, if it, you know, if you get a few that flop or whatever, I just wonder why there isn't, you know, something of this quality aimed at that audience uh, coming out and getting that, that kind of success. Yeah, because uh, that's one thing, you know, I had a conversation about uh, with, you know, the Duff, which I liked and you didn't, and then the Edge of 17, which you, you really liked and I, I really didn't. Uh, all the only people talking about them were, you know, 30 uh-huh. year olds. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, and it's like, which I, you know, Edge of 17 probably should not have been released around Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, but yeah, they just, I don't even know if they, they even attempt to, to get that, that audience anymore. Um, so it's, it's just, it's sad because that's the one thing, you know, you said we've had such a variety of things. I, I probably teen movies is the thing we've hit on the most and they're all three very different. Varsity Blue, She's All That, and now Cruel Intentions. I mean, they are about teenagers, but those are all very different films. And that's, that's really the only consistency we've had, which is a very good thing. I mean, it speaks well for, uh, 1999, I guess October Sky. I don't know if I would. I don't see it as a teenage film, maybe because the adults play such an important role in that film with the, the father. But it's more of a family, family yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there used to be actual Friday, nineteen ninety nine. So we're going to continue on, and I always do this to you, and you always say I've not pulled it up. But Ben, do you know what we're talking about next week? I do, and it okay. is uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Oh, there which... we go. I could have saved all of my King <laughs> Arthur hate for that episode. <laughs> So weird. I, I don't even get the reference. Weirdly enough, I have never seen Lock, Sock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Where so. Guy Ritchie got to right. start. All right. So I, yeah, first film. It'll be interesting. I've never seen it. So that that will be interesting. Um, yeah, I, that is uh, that uh, may have been something you should have seen your use. But you know what? I'll be interested to uh, to see what uh, old man Zook thinks of, of that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, join us again, whoever you are out there, Cruel Intentions fans. Uh, if there's a forum, I will drop this link on there, and hopefully they'll they'll join us again because of your passion for that that film. They'll join us and subscribe, and be back for the the Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels episode. They've got to be out there somewhere. <laughs> and if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at ninety nine from ninety nine. It's a bittersweet symphony that's I got you off the streets, and this is how you repay me? You got me off the streets? I, I live at 59th and Park. Whatever. Now, you are never to set foot in this house again, and you are never, and I mean never, to see my daughter again. Is that understood? I would like to think that in these times, someone of your stature could look beyond racial lines. Oh, don't give me any of that racist crap. My husband and I gave money to Colin Powell. No change, Jack, and change, Jack, and change, Jack, and change. But I'm here in my moment.